What was your, or what is, or what was your favourite subject at school? William, you answered me before. What's your favourite subject at school? Science. Did you like science? Did you like doing experiments? Was it cooking, apart from all the bags and packets of flour and, and all sorts of eggs that got broken in your bag as you ran to school? Was it PE? Was it geography? That was my favourite subject, just gazing at maps all day long. What was your favourite subject at school? Maybe it was history. But sometimes we can come to a subject like history and think as we study the Romans or the Bronze Age or the Tudor times and think, well, this is all very interesting. It explains why there's that castle or, or that bit of wall or that town has got that name. But it's not really relevant for me today, is it? The history of the Romans, yes, that's great, 2,000 years ago, but I'm going to work on a computer tomorrow, and that's really got nothing to do with it. It's not very relevant. We can think that about history, can't we? Well, what we've just read in Zechariah may seem strange to us, some of the language, some of the pictures, and it is history. It is history that Zechariah is recording here. Zechariah was a real man. These are real events that happened. They happened in the year around 520 BC, which is what, 2,480 years ago. So a long time ago. We're at the end of the Old Testament. We're just about to come into the New Testament at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this history is not in Bristol or London. That's not where Zechariah was. This is in Palestine. Been on the news a lot. We're not, Israel at this time are not their own country. But, they're in the, but, but the city of Jerusalem is just a small part of the, of the Persian Empire. Darius is the king. He's been king for two years. We see from the date reference in verse 7. The second year of Darius, the people of God, were in exile. They were taken out of the land because of their idolatry. But in God's grace and his goodness, a small remnant, a small group, 20 years ago, came back. Came back and they returned. They returned with the task of rebuilding the temple, which was destroyed by the Babylonians. But they're not prosperous, they're struggling economically, and they're finding it very difficult. They did start to rebuild, but then there was oppression and persecution from other, other parts of the Persian Empire telling them to stop. You see this in, in Ezra, chapter 5. And they didn't just stop rebuilding the temple for a weekend or a few weeks or months, but for nearly 20 years, they stopped. And they got on with the easy life of building and decorating their own houses. Haggai explains that in his prophecy just next door. So how is that history, what's that got to do with us today? 2,500 years later. What's this book of the Bible, this vision, how is that helpful for us today? Why should we pay any attention? 
Well, firstly, we should pay attention because it's in the Bible. The book of Zechariah, however obscure and, and strange some of the imagery that there is in Zechariah, yet it is in the Bible, and all the Bible is God-breathed and given to us, and is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. The book of Zechariah, as we'll see in a minute, is actually about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the last section of Zechariah from chapters 9 to 14 is the most quoted section in the Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ. His last week from his triumphal entry all the way to his crucifixion. In the Gospels, they quote Zechariah at that point more than any other part of the Old Testament. In Zechariah you have the triumphal entry, the king riding on the colt of a donkey. You have the the shepherd will be struck and the sheep scattered. You have, they will look on him who they have pierced. It is like a script that Jesus followed for his final week. So that's why we should take an interest. But also, the book of Zechariah is about our situation Our situation, the people here are discouraged because they're looking back into the past of the glory days of of Solomon's temple and all its splendor. When they were were much stronger and, and prosperous, they had their own king. But now they're just a shadow of that. They're just a small remnant. They're struggling with the harvest which didn't come. They haven't got their own king. They're ruled by a foreign king. And there's very few of them. And their temple is just a ruin. And you might be thinking, well, the state of Christianity in the church in our country, 50 or 100 years ago, it was great. There were large churches People like Spurgeon were preaching and J.C. Ryle was on the scene and those were the glory days. There was revival in Wales, but look at the church now in our country. Much smaller, weaker, less of a voice. Zachariah's situation is the same as ours. But Zachariah is also about our future. As well as trying to encourage the people in the present... Zechariah, well, the Lord through Zechariah is pointing them to the future. Yes, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also of his return. They're in a time of waiting because by the end of Zechariah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, hasn't come yet. Now, we live in a time now, 2,500 years later, when the Lord Jesus Christ has come the first time. But yet, are we not still in a time of waiting? Waiting for what? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the people here who were waiting for the restoration of the kingdom, for the destruction of all wickedness and oppression. Are we not waiting for the same thing? So Zechariah is so relevant and important for us today, and especially as we go into this first vision. In our passage from 7 to 17, this vision that Zechariah had. On the 24th day of the 11th month, 
And that, if you look at Haggai chapter 1, who is a contemporary of Zechariah, is exactly five months after the rebuilding of the temple, after those 20 years, started again. Five months later, they're carrying on with the work, slogging away, struggling. And the Lord, in his mercy, sends more encouragement and help to his people who are demotivated, discouraged, what this temple we're attempting to build is nothing compared to the, the, the one that Solomon built. That one that was destroyed with all the gold and the silver. What have we got? And how does the Lord encourage them? Through Zechariah, he lifts their gaze out of the rubble. Out of what is discouraging to them, their kind of status quo, and lifts their gaze up to heaven to gaze upon the glory of their God and their Lord. And he shows them in this first vision three wonderful realities about who their God is to remind them to look up. Yes, things on the ground are hard and tough. And you're struggling. But look up and keep your eyes fixed on the glory of God. And that's exactly what we need to do in our day-to-day life. To look up and gaze upon the glory of the Lord. And he reminds them in this vision of three realities about the Lord, their God. The first thing he reminds them of from verses 8 to 11 is that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. We see in this first part of the vision in verse 8. I saw in the night and behold a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen and behind him were red, sorrel and white horses. Though Zechariah has this vision on one night. This is the first of eight visions that Zechariah has in, in this uh, opening, these opening six chapters of his prophecy. He sees the vision of a man riding on a red horse, who we find out later is the angel of the Lord. He's in a glen or a valley, with, surrounded by myrtle trees, so evergreen trees, which would be native and, and common in the, kind of the Mediterranean region. And behind the angel of the Lord, this rider on the horse, were other horses and other horsemen. What we must remember as we come to a vision like this, and there are many other places in the Bible where there are visions like this. Zechariah, not Zechariah, we're in Zechariah. Revelation, Daniel. To not get lost in the detail. Because Zechariah and the passage makes it clear what's the important part. Because Zechariah asks, doesn't he, in verse 9. Then I said that Zechariah, what are these, my Lord? He's not talking about the trees or the glen or, or anything else. He's speaking specifically about the, the horsemen, the heavenly horsemen who were behind the angel of the Lord on his horse. Then the angel in verse 9, who talked with me, said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol 
the earth. And verse 11, and they, that's those heavenly horsemen, they answered the angel of the Lord and kind of, they gave their report after patrolling the earth, after going to and fro, they come back to their commander-in-chief and say, we have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Zechariah hears that while he's listening just after he asks. And so what does this vision mean? Well, what is this picture about? The angel of the Lord, the horsemen who have patrolled the earth, who come back and give their report. Well, in the Persian Empire, surprise, surprise, there, were no, there was no internet, there was no telephones, there was no video conferencing, there was no aeroplanes or trains or, or fast cars. And so King Darius, who would have been most of his time over in the capital city in the east, Susa or, or Babylon, how was he able to kind of keep track of what's going on in his vast empire? The Persian Empire, which spread all the way from Turkey and the Mediterranean in the west, all the way to, to India in the east. 127 provinces of which Judah, the province beyond the river, was just one of them. How was he able to keep track of what's going, over, over, what's going on over there in Turkey and what's going on over there in India and in Judah and in, and in all the different places? How was he able to do that? Well, the fastest mode of transport was horses. And so he would send these patrols, these riders on horses who would, who would go out to see the status of the different parts of his realm and then bring back report and bring back news of the status and the, the state of his empire. These horsemen were symbols of the king's authority, wearing the, the, the king's um, badge and, and emblems and carrying his seal to show as they came into town they're the king's representatives. So even though Darius was a long way away, this was to show his authority and his power to every part of his empire. But in this vision, these horsemen here don't belong to Darius. Darius here, the great and, and powerful Darius, the Persian emperor... He's just a date reference, as he is in the beginning of the chapter. He's just part of the calendar. This is the second year of Darius. In this vision, these horsemen, these patrols, are the lords. And they've not just gone out throughout the Persian Empire, but we have patrolled the earth. We have patrolled the earth, and brought back a report to the angel of the Lord. So what here is the Lord through Zechariah, in this wonderful vision, what is he reminding his people? Who are small, who are discouraged, who are under foreign rule and occupation. What is he reminding them? Your God, your Lord, is the sovereign ruler 
not just of this crumbling city of Jerusalem, but of the entire world. And he exercised his authority and sends out his patrols, not just in Persia, but over the entire earth. For all the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. The Lord, through Zechariah, is lifting their gaze to remind them of the reality that your God, your God is not like the gods of the Persians, of the Babylonians, or the Canaanites, local deities confined to to local temples. Your God is the, the cosmic commander and chief, is the sovereign Lord. He, not Darius, is the true and sovereign king and ruler to whom everyone will have to give an account. The Lord knows everything that is going on in his empire. As Darius wanted to keep track of everything going on in his, the Lord knows everything that is going on in his empire. The Lord is the great and sovereign king. You think what a wonderful encouragement that would have been for the people who would have heard that vision from from Zechariah. That yes, we are weak. Yes, we are small. We could easily be taken over by, by the Persians if they wanted to. But actually, the one who looks after us, who knows our state, who knows our struggles, who knows when we're discouraged... Is not just a local king who's been set up in Jerusalem to watch over us from the tower window. But is the Lord God who made and who owns the heavens and the earth. And what a lesson for us and a reminder for us when we can easily be daunted by those powers in our country, in our world. Think of Russia, China, our own government. Sometimes we dread to to look at the news to see, well, what on earth has happened next? It seems things escalate and surprises happen. And it seems like things are out of control and those earthly powers with the illusion of power seem to be able to exercise their authority in all sorts of different ways. And we, as Christians, where many of our brothers and sisters around the world are, are being persecuted can easily think, well, who's in charge? Is it, is it an equal battle between God and those who are against Christians? What a wonderful encouragement for us when church attendance seems low in our country, where the morality and the kind of influence of Christians seems to decrease year by year in our country. Where biblical standards for basic things as biology and and gender and marriage seem to be thrown out of the window. What an encouragement for us that when we are pressurized to be silent, we're oppressed and feel that we are on the downfall. What an encouragement that our Lord. The one who knows what's going on in this country, in this town, in this church, in your street, in your house, is the sovereign Lord.
He knows the state of his people in the UK. He knows the state of your life and of you here in Solihull. He knows when you're struggling and suffering and ill. He knows when things go wrong. You think, if the Lord were not sovereign, if the Lord was not in control, if that throne in heaven was empty, you think, what a frightful thing that would be. But you can rest in the armchair of God's glorious sovereignty. Because he is a a king who will never abdicate, who will never be overthrown, and there will never be any coups against him that he didn't see coming. He is the sovereign Lord. But the second reality as we carry on in this vision that Zechariah wants to remind the people of, to encourage them, to help them, is that the Lord is not just sovereign, but, from in, but in verse 12, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. As the vision continues, in verse 12, the angel of the Lord, after hearing the report of the horseman that all the earth remains at rest, that all the other nations seem to be at ease, while your own people are struggling, he cries out, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry this 70 years? It seems like that you've kind of directed your attention away from your people and over to the Persian Empire. For them, life is great. Life is kushti. Things are going well. They're prospering. There's peace. In this time, in the, in the second year of Darius in the Persian Empire, uh, his first year of his reign was, was full of different revolts and, and rebellions from different parts of his empire. But by now, in the second year, they had been quashed. And there was now peace across his empire. Those groups who were seeking to raise their heads have been dealt with. They were doing well, whereas God's people were struggling. Now the angel of the Lord, how long will you have no mercy on your people, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? Why have you forgotten them? Why are you not doing them any good? But what's going on here? That the angel of the Lord, in verse 12, crying out to who? The angel of the Lord said to the Lord of hosts... What's that a vision of? What's that an insight into? Well, who is the angel of the Lord? We're here in Zechariah, the kind of the close of the Old Testament. This is not the first time that the character, the person of the angel of the Lord has appeared. The angel of the Lord is the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The angel of the Lord was the one who led Israel through the Red Sea, across the dry land, onto the, into, the, uh, into the promised land on the other side. The angel of the Lord 
is the one who in Genesis 19 rained down fire and sulfur and destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So throughout the Bible, you get a, a picture and an idea that this person of the angel of the Lord is not an angel, is not a servant of the Lord, a creature, but is God himself, the angel of the Lord, the message or revelation of God himself. So we've got the angel of the Lord who is speaking here to the Lord of hosts, to the Lord himself, the God of armies. So what's going on there? God is speaking to God. The Lord is speaking to the Lord. This is similar to Psalm 110, where the Lord said to my Lord, you shall sit at my right hand. What we have here is a picture of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to God the Father. John 17, the Lord Jesus Christ prays. The eternal Son of God is praying and speaking to who? To God. This is an internal conversation and dialogue between the two of the persons of the Trinity. Between God the Son and God the Father. Jesus Christ is the Word of God who became flesh. The message of God. The word angel just means messenger. He is the word who became flesh. He is the revelation, the communication of who God is and what God has done. And here we have the angel of the Lord. And what's he doing? He's interceding and mediating for his people. In this, in, in this vision, he is mediating. He's standing between the people and God. He's mediating between them, bringing them together. Who is the only mediator between God and man? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation, just a few hundred years Later, And he is mediating, he is faithfully standing by and interceding for his people. He's acting like a lawyer, like an advocate, crying out, like one of the Psalms, How long, O Lord? What a great encouragement for the, the people there in, in Jerusalem at this time who are in the minority, who are weak, who are persecuted and struggling. Because here we have a picture of God himself, the eternal Son of God, the angel of the Lord, pleading on their behalf, faithfully standing by them, interceding and praying, communicating with God the Father for them. Isn't this a wonderful encouragement for us as well? In our struggles, we can easily feel alone. In our suffering, we can easily find it hard to pray 
We can feel like the Lord has abandoned us. He's, he's gone off to another household or to bless another church. He's gone off to another country. He's not with us here anymore. But as Paul says in Romans 8 verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ who died and who rose again and who ascended to the right hand side of God is interceding for us. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord is doing then, is what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing now. Interceding for his people. Did you know that? That the Lord Jesus is at the right hand side of God the Father and he is praying for you. He is praying and interceding for you in your discouragement, in your struggles, in your struggling to fight against that temptation or that sin or that, that long-term health issue, that phone call from the doctor, those test results. The Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He is praying and crying out for you. He is standing by you and will never leave you or forsake you. But is always on your side. See that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is faithful. And finally, and just briefly, we see from 13 to 17, and there's a lot in this section, but just to, to highlight a few things before we, before we finish. The Lord is sovereign, the Lord is faithful, and the Lord is loving. How does the Lord respond, the Lord of hosts? How does he respond? In verse 13, and the Lord answered gracious and comforting words. And then the angel of the Lord who has heard these words gives this message to Zechariah to then cry out and make known to the people. What does the Lord want Zechariah to make known? Is the reality of the Lord's steadfast and unshakable love to his covenant people. To his bride who he has bound himself to. To his children, his people who were chosen in Christ before the world began. He is in verse 14, exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and exceedingly angry with those nations who were oppressing them, who seemed to be at ease. They will have to give an account for what they are doing to you. Like the jealousy a, a husband has for his wife who's, who's being attacked or who is, who is being upset or a parent for a child who can't bear to see their loved one suffering. The Lord wants his people to know for sure I have not taken my steadfast, fixed and secure love away from you. I am not fickle. I, I don't just swing to and fro to any nation who, who impresses me. I have bound myself to you. I am faithful and I am loving with a love that will never end. That is firm and fixed and secure. 
I promise to be your God and for you to be my people. And I love you so much that I will never break that promise. Marriage vows, we say, to death do us part. Will I do these things? But with God there is no until death do us part. It is forever when God makes a promise. It says in verse 16, I will come to you. I will return to you. He will build my house and and do the work that I've given you to do. To restore my kingdom. My city shall be prosperous. And so be strong and build. You know the people in Zechariah did not see the fulfillment of that. We saw it partially at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we again await for that time of of prosperity and joy and and well-aged wine and rich food and feasting and and joy that is unbelievable. But that will come when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. What an encouragement. God saying, I am still your God. My heart, my love, my affection, my effort and strength will never be for another. You are my people, and I love you. What a wonderful encouragement for us today. We can feel overwhelmed and underwhelmed, discouraged, demotivated. There's so much opposition, so much struggle. Where is the Lord? Has he turned away? Has he forgotten? Has he gone elsewhere? Jesus said as he rose again to his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Our Lord is loving. He is sovereign. He is faithful. That's what Zechariah, the Lord through Zechariah, Raya wants to remind the people of who are in the rubble and the ruin to look up to the glory of your God who is sovereign and rules over the whole earth who knows what's going on here on the ground who is faithful and standing by you and who loves you with a love that you cannot even begin to grasp the scale and the size of. You see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of, of us of these wonderful truths this evening. We thank you that this is not just fairy tale or, or something irrelevant from the past. We thank you that this is as true today as it was back then. And so help us to remember who you are. To look up to your glory and wonder. And to know that you are our God. And we are your beloved people. In Jesus name. Amen.